Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy and that's Alice. Hi everyone. <laughs> and that's Lola. So much more than what you see. We all live our lives differently. Kaleidoscope identity and this is who I'm meant to be. I'm just labelled. I'm Alice. This is Lucy. She's our guest for today. Thank you very much for having me. Lucy, why don't you just kick things off by telling us what your label is? So my name's Lucy and my label is the fact that I have cerebral palsy. Okay. My understanding of cerebral palsy is that it's one of those things that affects your muscles and you know you you have problems with pain and stuff as well I don't really know tell me a little bit what it's like to have cerebral palsy so um cerebral palsy I can speak from my perspective of course that um my cerebral palsy um was caused because I was born eight weeks prematurely back in 1987 okay so if I was born these days there would probably be very little evidence of a disability at all yeah, but I was born in 1987, and so my brain, when I was born, was starved starved of oxygen. Right. Which, when I was growing up as like a toddler, when I until I was about a toddler, everybody thought, oh, she, like Lucy's just like a normal baby. She was just prem. She's a normal baby. There's there's nothing to be concerned about until I was a toddler, and I wasn't toddling. I wasn't walking. Mm. So um, my parents went to um, have an assessment to see whether I, you know, if there was anything to be concerned about. And after after various sort of tests and examinations and stuff, they said that I'd got cerebral palsy. Now cerebral palsy is a big beast. So for me, it affects my muscle spasticity, particularly in my legs. Okay. It affects my balance. I've got the balance of a drunk even when I'm sober. <laughs> um, <laughs> If, you, if I was to get out of my wheelchair, I can't sit up straight at all. I have to hold on to somebody. Really? Right. That's that's my excuse. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's frequently having to hold on to handsome young men. It's, it's yeah. only them who can really support you. Exactly. You know, big, like, strong legs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it affects my balance. Um, many people who have cerebral palsy at some point in their lives have had a brain scan to see exactly where the damage has occurred in in the head. Right. Whereas I haven't had that at all. Okay. So we're not oh, we're not overly sure where the damage. We know that it's the legs, but we don't know like if there's any other areas of the brain. I'm far more mm. creative and good at being able to create things than I am with the logical side of stuff numbers and stuff it's like yeah. no just goes in one ear and out the other so that is but i mean cerebral palsy is a big beast it's huge so so yeah. some people with cerebral palsy can be mildly affected and can walk maybe they've just got like some sort of difficulties with their arms some, yeah. some people it's affected their speech some people it has affected their arms legs and speech so it's a huge yeah. It's a huge spectrum, really. Very varied, yeah. Yeah. And is it one of those things, do you, like, is it consistent? 
the issues that you have or can can you get kind of progression where it can get worse over time or um this is the thing really when i was a when i was a kid uh we thought that it you know it was just that i fact i couldn't walk and i have difficulty with my fingers sometimes i've got sausage fingers so we thought oh that's what we're dealing with but then as mm. an adult as an adult there's lots of research that's gone into children with cerebral palsy and there's lots of papers out there that will tell you the symptoms and what you can expect in the varying degrees. But when you get to adulthood, there's no real research as to whether it will get progressively worse. Right. So I know for a fact that my pain has got worse since I've been an adult. I am in far more pain every day now than I ever was as a kid. I can never remember it hurting this much yeah. just to sit up. Um, yeah. So as far as we know it won't it won't get really really bad um mm -hmm. but we you just don't know really you don't know i mean and there are some days where you wake up and something's hurt and you're thinking that's a new ache is this new or are you just visiting <laughs> like yeah do you know what i mean but and it's, it affects your energy levels that i never really knew as a kid because as a kid you don't think you you realize what energy levels are do you until you you're an adult no you just go to you drop don't you <laughs> yeah exactly and then when you're an adult it's like oh god you know i need to lie down i i'm often in bed at like six o'clock right because i've i've been sat in my chair all day and because yeah. i've been sat in the one position i'm like i need to go and have a lie down now yeah because yeah. and everybody thinks i go to bed to sleep i don't i've got the telly on i'm listening to music i'm listening to podcasts and stuff but um I do go to bed ridiculously early. And if somebody says, do you want to come out for a drink? I'm like, do I have to? Do I have to? <laughs> um, but um, see, so yeah, it, there is this big sort of question mark over whether it will get worse. We don't think it will. We hope it won't. Mm. But if it, if it does, we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it almost. Yeah. You said that you, like, you know, people invite you out for a drink. Yeah. It's, oh, do I have to? Is that, do you think you're... Um your social life and your your way of kind of living your life is being affected by your cerebral palsy yeah i do i do because like if it's something i really really want to do then i'll go yeah all right then I'll, I'll push myself to do it but then like for days after i'm like i am knackered i'm not going out again for a week like leave me alone i want to lie under a duvet and watch netflix um but it does it does affect my social life because i know that other people my age they're not going to they're not going to bed at six o'clock. They're probably down the pub or they're meeting friends after work. Whereas I'm just thinking, all I want to do is get in my pajamas and go to to bed. Mm -hmm. And if I think about it too too much, especially when I know, especially when I think I'm missing out on something, I hate the thought of missing out on something. Mm -hmm. So I, I'll never, if I want to do something, I'll never not do it because I'm tired. I'll I'll just go, and then feel tired. Yeah. But I like going to gigs and things. So if I know I've got a gig coming up, I'll rest in the day and then get ready like early afternoon and, and then go out and do it, you know, go out and do the thing I've got to do and then come back again. So I, I, yeah. I like, it's almost like storing your energy up ready to go. Okay, yeah. let's go out. It's just about time management, really. I can remember talking to my GP about my aches and pains when i'm sitting in my wheelchair and he's like lucy if it hurts to go and lie down i was like yes but i'm like 29 and i've got things i want to do and he was like nobody's going to begrudge you if it hurts and i'm like no nobody will but i'll feel really irritated that 
I am lying in bed missing out on all this, you know, excitement. It must be frustrating as well to have somebody who's not feeling that pain and going through that to be saying to you, well, you know, if you can't do it, don't do it. When there's a part of you that's like, well, you know, what if I want to do it? And yeah. I, I can't, I still can't do it. I mean, I know that the, that the them saying nobody's going to judge you for not coming out and just lying in bed instead. I know that that's coming from a place of them being kind. They're trying to reassure me that nobody's going to think any less of me. And nobody does, really. They understand that Lucy has to sit in a chair all day and it hurts. But at the same time, I'm still a young woman and I still want to go and do things. And, you know, sometimes you just have to suck it up and just know you're going to be absolutely knackered for three, four days running. It's It's ridiculous, really. But it is what it is. So, you know. Are you sort of, you said that you do think that your cerebral palsy has had an impact on kind of your social life and things mm. like that. Do you feel like it's had an impact on the sort of choices you've made of the things that you've done in your life? Like, you know, are there places you love to visit, but you think I couldn't do that? Are there things you'd like to try, but you think I'd, I'd find that too much? Or do you do you push yourself through to do those things? Yeah, if I really, really want to do something or go somewhere, then I will push myself through. I don't, I'm not, but I'm not a martyr to it. I don't sit there and say, I'm going to push myself through. I don't say to anybody, actually, I'm really quite tired today. Can I have a rest? I won't say, Mm. I'm hurting. Can I have a rest? I'll just keep going and look as if I, I can remember being at a Christmas party in my own house a few years ago and the, my pay all of a sudden and it comes on all of a sudden this is the the thing it's almost like my body goes nope you've had enough bedtime now bedtime now go away you know go and have a lie down quietly and um yeah I can remember sitting up in the chair there were still friends around and I can remember sitting up in my chair and the pain just all of a sudden arriving and I'm thinking I need to go and have a lie down and all the time I was thinking please, can you just go home so I can go to bed? And it was half past yeah. 10. You can't really say, excuse me, it's half past 10, can you get out? So I will yeah. sit there and I will, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But then when I get out, in, when I lie out in bed at night, my back will go into spasm because it's almost like, it's like going, thank you for now listening to us. Do you know what I mean? But mm. I will ne- I'd, never, I'd never say it um, puts me off doing anything. Maybe flying, so travelling abroad, I would probably think twice about going long distance but again if I really 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 wanted to then I would I probably would never go to somewhere like Australia or anywhere like that because 24 hours on a plane no I mean I think that sounds hideous for me and I don't have CP so (laughs) you know what I mean it's just like nah if anything my CP I think has made me more determined to do stuff in spite of it do you know what I mean because I Mm -hmm. I I've, I mean, I've, I've grown up with a, a very loving family. I've always said, you, you know, it's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can, you know, and they've never told me I'd never be able to do anything. But outside of that, um, outside of my friends and family, there have been people throughout my life who've said, you can't, you won't be able to do that, which to that is fuel for me. Cause it's like, all right, you watch me cause I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it three times bigger than you ever thought possible. Yeah. So it kind of, I think having cerebral palsy is almost having like that sort of spurring sort of, I'm going to do this because everybody thinks I can't and I know I can. I don't, I'm not one of these stupid people that go, I'm going to run a marathon on my 
two legs because I know that's never going to happen nor do I want to run a marathon sat down in a wheelchair really if I'm honest so I'm very realistic about what I can do and I have goals of what I want to do I've got a list in my head of what I want to achieve and there are I know there are some people that go you'll never be able to do that and I'm thinking watch me so when I was at university I was very severely bullied because I was in a wheelchair by not just by the students but by the lecturer as well which was horrendous horrific and they all said you're never gonna because my degree was in media studies and they all said to me you're never gonna I don't even know why you're on this course because you're never going to amount to anything um you're just going to sit at home on your benefits all day now I want I've since, since about the age of eight I've wanted to work in television I can remember being at school and saying to the teachers at school, I'm going to work on the telly I am. I'm going to be the first Blue Peter presenter in a wheelchair. And the mum's going, oh, yeah, 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 kind of sort of like smiling and nodding. And I'm going, yeah, it's not going to happen, though, is it? And I'm not the first Blue Peter presenter in a wheelchair. There hasn't been one yet, so I could still do that if I wanted to. Um, But I did work, my first job out of university was working for the BBC in BBC daytime which is something that I never expected would happen but it just sort of fell in my lap and I spent the next six months of my life thinking they're gonna ask me to leave very politely and say excuse me are you Lucy Wood can you leave please because this is um it's been it's been a terrible mistake (laughs) the way the way I got my own back on that sort of like that sort of attitude of you'll never be able to do it I didn't tell anybody I was going for an interview I didn't tell anybody I'd applied at college because I just thought they'd just take the mick if they knew and what I did do was put it in the last sentence of the last line of my bio in the end of year program for our film that we'd made it said Lucy will begin working at the BBC from August (laughs) and just left it like that so it was there yeah and I was like mic drop kind of thing like yeah and everybody's face was like is it is this right? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that is, I mean, there is a bit of me that quite like it when people go, you'll never be able to do that because it just ends, you know, I end up thinking, oh, you watch me. It's, it's really interesting to, you know, to hear you say that because I think a lot of people would say that that kind of attitude of going, well, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong is, and I know this is a bit of a trigger word for you, but it can be, it's quite an inspiring attitude to have. How do you feel about, you know, being an inspiration? If I'm completely honest with you, I hate the I word because I never set out to inspire anybody at all, ever. I never thought to myself, oh, I'm going to inspire loads of people. I just sort of have, I think I've got a mindset that just makes me think I can set my mind to do anything I want to do. And I think people on the outside think, blimey, she's got all that to cope with. And they can't help but go, she's inspirational. And I'm like, no, no, no. I always say that if I can encourage people, rather than inspire I quite like the word encourage to me that makes it sound like if you want to sort of follow my lead almost I would encourage you to do it like this I prefer encourage than inspire because I think inspire is putting me on a pedestal and looking at me as if I'm this sort of shining beacon of hope and actually even though I might look like I'm positive all the time I do have days where I think 
just leave me alone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I think having the word inspiring for me, the only reason it's triggering is because I it puts like pressure on me. Just, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? To be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to be this inspiring person all the time. And actually, I'm just a human being and I've still got worries and I've still got anxieties that that plague me. And I think the worries and anxieties that I have are probably bigger, maybe. And I, I mean that in, in the greatest of respect of it's a, they're, they're, they're big issues that I'm wrestling with. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, they're big to me, but to, to other people, they're like, well, yeah, of course I get you. So it's like my PAs, I've got to employ a new PA recently, and I'm constantly worrying, like, oh, will they be nice? Will they like me? Will they turn up? Will, will they leave me stranded at a train station? Those kinds of things. I've got, those things are going around in my head all the time. And mm. to me, somebody who's inspirational, I think they've got to have a bit of self-awareness about the fact that they're inspirational do you know what I mean it's like I always think that somebody who is there to inspire somebody knows that they're there to inspire somebody I don't know really it's really difficult subject to like pick apart really and understand why I really don't like the word inspirational it's just something about it I just think oh no that's not me I'm Lucy do you think it's because it's well-intentioned sort of fashion it's just another way of kind of dehumanizing you it's taking away the the looseness of who you are and saying well she's she's an inspiration because she's a disabled person with goals and achievement you know does that idea resonate with you I think it does actually Alice now now you've sort of said it I think that it does because when I have thought to myself well maybe I should accept the fact that people call me inspiring and just sort of not say oh it really makes me uncomfortable and when they've said oh I find you so inspirational it's inspiring really and I've said well why they've not been able to give me a proper reason do you know what I mean it's like well Mm -hmm. you just are you just are well why am I just inspiring surely there's got to be a reason and it does make me think, are you taking away my achievements and just looking at me because I'm in a wheelchair and I'm sat down and I managed to keep a smile on my face? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is that. I don't know, really. I mean, because, you know, if you asked me, I would say anybody who went to uni and went on to work at the BBC, that's a pretty special achievement. You know, for a lot of people, that's something to be really proud of and there's a lot of young people out there who would say that person has inspired me if they can do it I can do it and you know I mean the fact that you are a wheelchair user and you have been able to do that it is putting more obstacles in front of you and it does take more determination and more kind of I suppose pressure and ambition on yourself to achieve that because the cards aren't stacked in your favour. No. But I can understand why you would feel like there being an element of, well, actually, you know, going to uni and getting the job I wanted is, for a lot of people, just kind of standard life stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It just so happened that the job I wanted was at the BBC. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's And I think it's, it's interesting to me to hear you kind of talk about it and to know... What I do know about some of the things that you've kind of done and that you have achieved is that you seem to feel like there's a quite a big gap between the things that you've done 
and the things that Paralympians have done yeah and that they've achieved and you know you said it yourself about not running a marathon I mean there are regular people folk whose bodies work as expected non-disabled who couldn't run a marathon yeah I think Lee Ridley the you know the the comedian lost voice guy he put it he Mm. put it brilliantly he said there's like no gray area for disabled people there's no like you either a paralympian or you're inspiring because you've managed to get out of bed like there's no in-between stage Mm. and I feel very very strongly that I am just like and in bet- I go to work, and yet people find that inspiring that I managed to go to work. It's like, well, you've got a job, ooh. You know, I go to work, I've got family, my friends, all that kind of stuff. I don't do anything remarkable that, you know, when I, I'm not here anymore, there's not going to be history books with my name written in them. There, certainly if what I've done so far is to go by, because all I've done is work hard like anybody else. That's the thing. And I think there is no grey area. So unless you're a Paralympian or unless you're sort of like really wanting to be that inspirational kind of person who doesn't mind inspiration porn being made about them and television programmes being sympathetic to the fact that isn't this person wonderful because, you know, she's managed to get shoes on um, <laughs> in a wheelchair. It's... There is no, there's no middle ground. There's none. There's none of this. But I'm normal, quote unquote. Do you know what I mean? Whatever normal is. Yeah. I feel like a very average person. I go to work. I come back. Have a drink on a Friday night, and I'm partial to bread and crisps and ice cream and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing remarkable. I don't think about me. All the achievements that I've got. They weren't handed to me on a plate because I was disabled. It's not like somebody's gone, oh, you're disabled and you want a job. Here you go. I just think I've worked very hard to get where I am and I enjoy the life I've got. And I don't really feel that that is, should be held up as this is, isn't this wonderful? Because yes, my life is wonderful, but I wouldn't expect anybody else to think it's wonderful because I'm just me. So... Do you think that there there is a part of our society that thinks that we are handed things? Yeah. You know, and disabled people do have it easier. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, some people think that I get a free car, I get money from the government. I get, I get this, that, and the other, and they go, oh, yeah, she's she's doing really well for herself. And I'm thinking, yeah, if I didn't have to have all this stuff, I wouldn't. Maybe I'd possibly keep the toilet that washes my ass. <laughs> that's, that's about the only thing I would keep if I was uh, able-bodied, I think. Non-disabled, I should say. Uh, but... Um, As- no, that's that's an that's an element of something that I want to I want to keep for myself. I think okay, something yeah. very like I just don't. I wouldn't trust robotics <laughs> to be. Oh no, it, it is a bit disconcerting. The first time you use it, it is a bit disconcerting. And when we had it installed, the amount of friends that were coming to try it out, it was like I should <laughs> <laughs> I should open a ride at Alton Towers. Like come and have a go on my <laughs> toilet start charging people for it make <laughs> yeah. a fucking fortune <laughs> exactly yeah yeah um but um no 
I yeah so there is an element of me that I think some people can get a bit like jealous of all the things I've got yeah and I think well half of it half of it if I didn't have to have it I would get rid of it do you know what I mean it's like I would be a lot less cluttered if <laughs> if I didn't have to have a wheelchair I think people always think that my wheelchairs are paid for you get like NHS wheelchairs, which are the most uncomfortable bone shakers you've ever sat in in your life. <laughs> um, I, and they're clunky and they're just ugly looking and they're horrible. I mean, I get it. Like I say to people, you know, I've got I've got a service dog and yep. I need, you know, I love her. She's an amazing creature. Yeah. But she's my mobility aid. And, like, I wouldn't have her if I didn't need a mobility aid. And, you know, people people sort of ask me about it. And I'm like, you know, why have a dog instead of using a white stick? And I'm like, fucking free dog, mate. Of course I'm having a free dog. <laughs> like, yeah. dog whose vet bills and stuff are paid for that I get to take <laughs> everywhere with me. If you're looking at it from the other end of because I'm disabled, I get all this this stuff. There is some stuff that you think that is quite cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to, I'm not for the slightest. I love a gadget. I get it from my nan, God rest her soul. She, she loved the gadget. And I think I do too. If I can get anything. So my voice recognition device, I won't say it because it will wake her up. My husband calls it Er Indoors. Er Indoors, that's the one. Because <laughs> as soon as I say her name, she'll go, yeah. So <laughs> when I discovered I could get light bulbs for my... Oh, yes. Oh, the lights. I, I love it. I felt like Iron Man. <laughs> I want a suit now. <laughs> Get to be a suit. You know that you can set them so that you doesn't have to be like she doesn't just respond to lights on. Yeah. So there was a period of time in my house where yeah. you walked into the living room and you went, no, 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 Lumos. <laughs> the fucking lights come on. <laughs> That's amazing. But I did yeah. feel very, very powerful. And I do, you know, I do think that technology is brilliant. And if I lived on my own, I would have all of my house completely, like, I wouldn't have to lift a finger. Well, you've made a good start with your fucking magic toilet, haven't you? <laughs> well, exactly. And my um, household device that turns my lights on and off. Um, mm. it, you know, and I've got a lift that takes me. To, so I don't live in a bungalow. I live in an actual house that has an upstairs and a downstairs. And I have a lift that goes through, you know, through the ceiling, which is quite cool. The amount of people that come around for the first time, like, can I have a go in it? Can I have a go in it? <laughs> yeah. Is it not just like a regular lift, but yeah. smaller and in your house? Yeah, but they think, can I? <laughs> These people have not been outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they think, can I have a go in it, please? So they have to go up and down a few times. Has anybody ever asked if they could have a go in your chair? Yeah, oh, all the time. Or they ask me, can you do wheelies? Uh, no, I can't do wheelies. And when I could do wheelies, I broke my collarbone because I was showing off. <laughs> <laughs> Says you're right for showing off. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I was showing off in front of some boy, I think. And um, <laughs> yeah, but they're always like, oh, well, it's usually when they're drunk. They never ask me when they're sober. It's always when they're drunk and they're coming out of the pub. Can I have a ride on your knee, love? That kind of thing. It's that yeah. sort of, um, yeah. But I mean, people say, oh, it's, you know, it's insensitive to ask those sort of questions. I find it quite funny that people are going can I have a ride on your knee or or I mean and there have been occasions where members of my family when I am out of my chair and I'm like lying on the floor or sitting in the armchair have sat in my chair 
because that's the only available seat. And <laughs> as soon as they sit down, I'm like, please don't sit in my chair because that cushion has got my bum print in it and I've spent yeah. ages moulding it. And then they get out and I'm thinking, now I've got to mould my bum back into the seat again. You need to get one, like a recording of that uh, from Big Bang Theory. It's just like you're in my spot. Yeah. Can you move, please? Yeah. No, it's, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't mind I don't mind I think I think in my head there is a limit I know I know when people are being mean with their sarcasm do you know what I mean I I can I've become very good at picking out arseholes just by hearing them speak so I know when something is said with malice yeah. And nine times out of ten, the people I surround myself with, I can take a joke about my disability. I don't start crying as soon as somebody points out I can't walk or I must get really... Somebody said to me the other day, you must get a lot of wear out of your shoes because I don't walk in them. And then they went, oh, I'm really sorry for being insensitive. And I said, no, you're just stating a fact. You know, you're not being insensitive. But I know when somebody says something and I think, oh, hang on a minute, mate, you're a bit out of order there. And I will bring them up on it. But at the same time, I think you have to sort of take a few on the chin. I know this is a very controversial thing to say, but I always think that if I am a miserable old disabled person who is nasty, tempered, when anybody asks me any questions, then I put that able-bodied person or non-disabled person off asking other disabled people if they need help. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In the future. So it's like, I always see it as a bit of my duty to go, no, it's all right, thank you. Or, you know, I can forcefully say no, but be very polite about it. I don't have to be like, no, get off me kind of thing. But there have been times where I've said, no, I'm all right, thank you. Like they said, oh, do you need any help? No, I'm all right, thank you. And then they've continued to help me, even though I've said, no, I'm all right, thank you. And I've I've had to get really forceful. But um, I try to not be a arsehole if somebody says something that they they might think might upset me so like I'll say oh no no it's all right but I wouldn't really call me a person with a disability I am a disabled person or so you know if their terminology isn't quite right I don't bring them up on it straight away until I know that actually they're being a bit of a dick about it. I mean, this is this is something that I think a lot of able-bodied, non-disabled people worry about, is is saying the wrong thing, using the wrong yeah. word. I think there's a lot of 50-year-old, white, cisgendered, straight men who worry about talking to anybody under the age of 40 <laughs> and using the wrong terms about anything. I had yeah. to have a conversation with my dad last night about the differences between gender fluid and gen and non-binary did his eyes like pop out of his head almost he's got this cat that he was absolutely convinced was a girl and uh, he took it to the vet for the first time turns out it's not a girl and so it was like oh the first non-binary cat and i was like first of all joke's not very funny second of all this is what the difference between non-binary and gender fluid is just to explain to you for future reference. (laughs) And I do think there is an element of, you know, there are people who worry about that stuff. And I think disabled people are way down the list of worries that people have for using, you know, inappropriate terms. I'm learning on a daily basis 
you know, because of Twitter and stuff, that there are words and phrases that I've thought nothing of that are actually offensive to people because of, you know, the colour of their skin or the way they identify sexually or whatever. Yeah. You know, and I think it's just, it's really interesting what you're sort of saying, though, because one of the things that you've said there is take about taking it on the chin and mm. you're you know having to take take a hit so that someone in the future doesn't take a worse hit yeah but we wouldn't stand for that if it was a person using a racist slur i mean most no. of us wouldn't no. i would hope anyway you yeah. know so what what is it do you think about being disabled that means that you've got to take it on the chin when there are and and i as you know i'm talking as a white person so i do apologize to anybody who might be listening who thinks well that's not true i take hits on the chin all the time Mm. but in my my experience is that we are very quick to go that is a racist term that is a sexist term yeah but you almost never hear anybody outside of the disabled community going that word's not acceptable no you don't you don't and I think a lot of it for me is about picking your battles because if I was to fight every fire with like the same ferocity as I did the big stuff I would get nothing done in life I would be exhausted disability advocacy which is something I am passionate about is at times like wading through treacle because you think you're getting somewhere and then five minutes later somebody will start an argument about something I've just said for me personally stuff people say things to me sometimes that hurt and I think just that you've got to let it go loose and I'm upset for a while and my, my family will hear about it and my friends will hear about it but then after that I'm like just you've got to let it go you've got to let let it go and just put it down as a story that you tell at dinner parties to shock people that, oh my God, is society really like that? It's a sad state of affairs that I really do believe that ableism and disability, in fact, is something that society don't take seriously enough. We're like the forgotten characteristic, the disability community are the forgotten characteristic. And often when you, you hear about diversity lists, disability is always on the bottom of that list when people are talking about racism sexism that kind of thing which is been a bit it's always a big bugbear of mine because I'm like hello hello are we here you know there is a lot of the time where you feel like you're fighting this huge battle on your own and in fact the reality of it is we're not on our own because the disability community as soon as you say something the disability community are there to say, no, I understand you're not in, you're not on your own. But there are times when, when people say things that hurt and that there's still things that people have said to me, you know, from when I was a kid that you think even now looking back at it, you think that's really quite painful to, to think about. Yeah. Because if I let the small minded idiots sit for too long in my head, I'd never do anything and I am not prepared to to let anybody else shame me into being any less of a person. I'm not going to let anybody dull my sparkle because I know how great I am. The people who know me know how great I am and 
not everybody is small-minded idiot and you have to keep reminding yourself that no not everybody thinks like that even though sometimes you may think that everybody thinks like that not everybody does and there are plenty of people fighting my corner who i don't even know particularly like social media twitter in particular there are people i don't even know that have said to me like i don't come into contact with them very often but they've said to me like i really admire the way you sort of you're a bit of a whirlwind and you sort of stand your ground you're not one of these people that easily backs down you're not scared of confrontation actually i think i am a little bit scared of confrontation i don't like rocking the boat but sometimes there are times where you think no i've got to make a stand here because if i don't somebody else later down the line is going to get it so i have to make a stand you know and i have to do that so that in the next generations of people like me and you don't face what we have to face and i mean i'm not saying that it's the worst thing ever that's happened to us i know there's plenty of people before me that have gone through a hell of a lot worse but at the same time it's still not ideal you know and i'm sure you'd agree with me on that it's still not ideal that i get thought less of just because my legs don't work i get thought less of just because i'm sat down when i enter a room and everybody thinks that i'm at a disadvantage when actually i'm not it's quite a powerful thing to be the only woman in the room who's in a wheelchair do you know and i've only just realized that now i think it's really it's really interesting for me as somebody whose disability is not it's a sensory disability Mm -hmm. you know for me the idea of sitting down all the time sounds amazing (laughs) and i would buy the most expensive over-the-top shoes that i'd just be like these shoes are they're not for walking they're just for looking at they're just like car to the bar shoes (laughs) yeah but obviously you know it's it's interesting because as somebody who actually can you know walk into a room on my two legs and actually provided you know i don't fall over the fucking table <laughs> i can pass as non-disabled quite easily and yeah. i imagine that that that's you know a very different experience to the experience of a lot of disabled people that to me would be more difficult i think when i am in a situation where i know i'm going to be the only one in the room who is disabled and i need people to take me seriously and not just like the token who is there i'm there for a reason and i'm there on my own merit do you know what i mean yeah i get extremely nervous and i have anxiety about oh my god what they're going to think you know i make sure that i'm dressed the most pristine looking woman you've ever seen in your life until a gust of wind comes and blows like wind and rain in my face and then i look bonnie tyler in a wind tunnel that was something i wanted to kind of bring up with you that that statement about being the only disabled person in the room being a really unique position to be in um you know and it's almost it's almost a position of power i think in the way that you talk about it tell me a bit more about sort of how you came to to realizing that and what that sort of means and and what you mean by it i think it means that if I'm going into a room, it's usually full of like able-bodied people. It's usually for a meeting for something that I need to talk about in my lived experience of disability. And I'm often there to talk about my experiences. And I think it's quite powerful that I, uh, if I am the only one there and I am the spokesperson 
for the token again of you know lucy's here to represent somebody with a disability i am the nobody can tell me i'm wrong do you know mm. what i mean nobody can say well no you know that's wrong that that's wrong that is because it's not wrong because if it was wrong well it's not wrong if if it's my lived experience it's not wrong is it do you know that's that's the be all and end that's the the first and the last of it i'm yeah. not wrong because i'm telling you about how I've experienced, and so like, I had a meeting ju quite recently with some very high up mem members in the community. So they were from a local council. We were talking about disabled access to public toilets and how disabled access, I feel, should be made very easy to find on websites. You shouldn't have to ring around and ask, can I get in? Is the steps up and you, the standard response should not be yeah there's only like one step we'll get you in you know that's not disabled accessible if there's one step it's not disabled accessible anyway i'm going off on a tangent i can remember saying in this meeting how would you feel if every time you left the house you had to ring round everywhere and explain to people what your needs were when you needed to go to the toilet and it like floored them they were like no yeah we see what you we see what you're talking about do you see what i mean and that well i think i think it was that that made me think this is actually quite a power powerful tool before that i would get really i mean i still get nervous when i go to meetings and stuff because i always think what are they going to think and i wish it's a stupid thing to think isn't it but i it's like it's internalized ableism i think of oh they're going to think i'm good enough or are they just going to think oh bless us it brought long look for a day out to a meeting <laughs> but i realized it was very it's a very powerful viewpoint to have it as my lived experiences yeah and i think i've got i think i think i've got a way with words that make people go actually she's got she's got a point i'm quite what's the word i'm looking for profound in what oh, i try to be if she does say so her fucking self <laughs> profound <laughs> and humble as fuck look at her <laughs> lady fucking muck over there <laughs> gonna sound awful in it they're gonna think who is this <laughs> but you know what i mean it, it does make you it does make them sit up and think actually and especially if you can speak about it with passion yeah rather than going actually it's not so bad actually you know yeah i think when you're talking about disability and my lived experience you've got to be passionate and you've got to speak from how it made you feel and in order to get it across because otherwise people are going to go yeah well you're here now you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. You, you're in the room now it's fine you know everything's all right stop moaning stop whinging and it's not moaning and whinging it's pointing out a fact that everything is 10 times friggin' harder for me than it is an able-bodied non-disabled person and i think i think for me and again this is coming from someone who has got a lot of privilege in a lot of other ways mm. you know as a straight white woman there is an element of i think that society finds it harder to kind of swallow that how to make things more accessible make things more open more inclusive yeah for disabled people in a way that is I don't it's it's almost easier for ethnic minorities or people who 
you know, identify with different sexualities from what is kind of that perceived social norm. And I, I know I'm going to get it in the neck for saying this because it's, it, it's a huge sweeping statement. But there is an element, I think, for, I mean, fundamentally, regardless of your gender or your race or your sexuality, if your body works as you expect the human body to work, your lived experience of taking a shit is going to be the same as everybody else's. Mm, yeah. However, if your body doesn't work the same as everybody else's, if you have an illness or a disability, then it's so hard to comprehend, I think, for other people, how you do everyday things and how they can do anything to level that playing field for you because your lived experience is physically fundamentally different Mm. to their lived experience the point i'm trying to make is that people find it difficult and people are scared to ask well how is that different for you what what is different about this that i cannot comprehend because you know ethnicity and gender discrimination is an external thing that is put on other people because something about them looks different Mm. and I'm not saying disabled people aren't discriminated against because they look different obviously lots of disabled people are discriminated against because they look different and there are lots of disabled people who do take a shit like everybody else but there are also lots of disabled people for who those kinds of experiences are so different. And I think society is scared to ask about it. I definitely think society is scared of the issue of disability. And that is because I think that is down to the fact that it doesn't matter whether you're black, white, male, female, whatever. Disability can happen to anybody at any time. You could wake up in the morning, go downstairs, get out of the house for work and get run over by a bus and never be able to walk again. And I think to a certain extent, there is a lot about disability that scares able-bodied people. So they're very scared of thinking to themselves that, well, if that happened to me, I don't know what I'd do. The amount of people that have said to me, strangers who've said to me, oh, if I was, if I were you, I don't know what I'd do. I'd, you know, I'd curl up in a ball and never leave the house or you know other people have had people say if I was disabled I'd kill myself which to me is that is incredibly offensive because our lives are no less just because we can't walk we've still got very full rounded lives it's just we just do stuff differently and you know and whilst I feel for people who've had accidents and have had to like learn to walk again or and there must be that complete and utter despair that I don't know how you would get over that because I have been disabled from birth I've never known what it's like to walk so in to a certain extent ignorance is bliss do you know what I mean I've never walked yeah I've never missed it however if for instance something was to happen to me and I lost the use of my arms or arm even one arm I don't know how I'd cope because how do I move myself about in my chair how would I be able to feed myself how would I be able to have that vet what what independence I have got that would be affected 
I can understand why disability would scare some non-disabled people yeah completely but then you know you giving that example I you can bet your ass that there's people out there who are wheelchair users with only one arm and they are going well I'm fucking fine thank you very much you know beer in one hand and then put it down to pick up your dinner (laughs) exactly kind of shoveling both constantly (laughs) like what I would do Um, (laughs) but uh, I and I know that's only because that's what I'm used to I know that I'm going if something happens to my arm I would be going through the same thing that an able-bodied person who loses their ability to walk and needs a wheelchair 24-7 would be going through because it's the same it's the same feeling isn't it you know I always say to people it doesn't matter how bad things get there's always a way around it and you should you shouldn't just give up at the first hurdle it might be hard and it might be very difficult and you might think I can't do it but you would surprise yourself at the human spirit because I've been through situations in my life where I thought I can't do this anymore I can't not not just like life but like if I've got a challenge and it's like too mountainous and I think I've bitten off more than I can chew I have a good old cry and a kick off about it and then I step back a bit and I go again and I go again and I go again until I'm there and I think I did that I that's me that is you know I lost my job last year in the most horrific horrendous circumstances the way it happened the way I was dealt with was awful and it ripped the rug from under my feet and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps found a new job that I now absolutely love and adore and I'm slowly slowly building my confidence back up again because it absolutely destroyed me I look now and I think to myself I did that nobody else did that I did that I don't want anybody at my old place of work taking credit for oh we let a go it was you know we let a fly which is what they said to me when they got rid of me well I'm letting you fly absolute load of bollocks but at the time because I was like what that that is maybe the case they did let me fly but I don't want them thinking that they had any hand in helping me be where I am now because that was all me do you know what I mean it I I did it I found strength from somewhere and built up what I've got now it's not where I want to be eventually but I'll get there baby steps isn't it there's a big difference between you know opening a window pushing you out and letting you fall and you deciding actually I'm gonna fly and stop myself from hitting the ground just because they pushed you out the window doesn't mean they had anything to do with you flapping your wings So that was our first ever episode recorded. Thank you very much, Lucy. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you. I really enjoyed, you know, you sharing your story. I hope the rest of our listeners enjoyed it as well. Fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed. (laughs) Uh, All right. Cheers, guys. We'll see you again. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Labelled Podcast. If you like the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labelled Podcast. Our thanks go to our editor, Adam Hall, our music composer, Maisie Crunden, and our graphic designer, Sarah Coley. We'll We'll see see you next time. time.